Hey everyone, this is Matt and welcome to another Overflow Pod in our Unshakable series where we've been looking at the tests that God gives us throughout life. We are on test number seven, the test of learning from those who come before you. And here's a little spoiler. The king utterly fails this test and makes the wrong choice. Now, all of these tests have been taking place during the life of Daniel, who lived about 2,500 years ago. At 15 years of age, Daniel was taken as a prisoner of war to the Babylonian Empire with about 25% of the Jewish nation. But there, he had just continued to pass every single test of life. And then when he was 85, 70 years later, he was the second most powerful man in the most powerful empire of the world. Now, we don't have time to review all of what's happened, but in Daniel chapter 5, where we are now at King Nebuchadnezzar, the previous king, he's the most famous king. He is long gone. He had, he's the one who built the hanging gardens of Babylon. He reigned for 45 years. And now his grandson, a guy named Belshazzar, is the king. Now, Belshazzar was a terrible leader. Absolutely terrible. He was a party guy. He loved parties. He was a spoiled royal brat. And all he liked to do was drink and party with his friends. So sensing weakness, <laughs> here we are. The two biggest enemies at that time, the Medes and the Persians, joined together. So Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Great, they came to besiege this great walled city of Babylon. Now, it's a pretty safe city. It's pretty amazing. The Euphrates River runs through it. It's got walls at about 50 to 80 feet in depth. It's very fortified. And these two armies are camped around the city of Babylon waiting to attack. Now, Belshazzar, the king, he's the young kid. He's not worried about it. I don't know what's going on in his head. Maybe he's overconfident. So what does a party do when he's about to be attacked? He throws a party. And in this chapter, chapter five, he invites a thousand of his friends to the royal palace and they all get wasted. The enemy is right outside the city and they're partying. They're having a real fun time. And then the king gets a very bad idea. Here's what he says. He's he's obviously drunk. He's wasted. Hey, you guys, when my grandfather was, you know, he was the emperor of Babylon and like we sacked all these nations, like one of them was like Jerusalem and we destroyed it. We stole all the stuff. Why don't we go grab their stuff, these goblets and drink out of them and stuff? What kind of idiocy is this? I mean, seriously, first of all, it's been in storage for 45 years. So let's take it out. Like, where does he come up with this idea? I don't know. I think he's more than just drunk. He's probably stoned. Who knows what he's on? And it's it's really, this is like the definition of being sacrilegious. It's making fun of somebody else's religion. So it's taking something that's created to honor God and instead misusing it to dishonor God. Turning something sacred into something profane. Daniel chapter 5, let's read verse 1 to 5. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his ancestor or his father, it's kind of like a term like patriarch. It's, it's this term there that can mean multiple meanings. So we think it's like his forerunner, his predecessor had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and the nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze and iron and wood and stone. 
Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. And the king watched the hand as it wrote. Now, this is a hand without a body. Kind of like, remember the Adams family? You know, if Thing was around, you know, if you know that Adams family thing, um, it certainly wasn't a giant foam fingers that you see at like sporting events. But anyway, by the way, have you ever heard the expression, the handwriting's on the wall? This is where it comes from. It's a story from 2,500 years ago. And this idiom is, you know, the handwriting's on the wall, which means that a warning, bad news is coming. You're about to get fired. Whatever. Handwriting is on the wall. Anytime you use that expression, it's from this story. It's referring to the fact that Belshazzar has been warned he's going to die that night because he has been sacrilegious. He hasn't been humble. This is a warning. Daniel 5, 6 says his face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. (laughs) I love this last phrase. Other translation says his hips gave way. That's just a polite way of saying he soiled his pants. He was moved. If you get my drift, listen to the King James version. I love this. Then the King's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. I don't know about this one, but this one may be the source of expression. It scared the out of him. (laughs) That's probably where it came from. That's exactly what happened to this King. Sometimes the Bible is a little too PC where they don't, talk like the translators don't really go into oh bodily things that happen and i really think he crapped his pants and a thousand guests see this handwriting of the wall and nobody can read it nobody understands it nobody can interpret it so they call for this guy daniel who's been serving now first as a prisoner of war then as an intern now as an administrator and he's moved up and by this point in daniel's life he's developed the reputation of being the smartest guy in the empire He's the best educated. He's the wisest. He's the go-to guy when you don't understand something. When there's a mystery, who are you going to call? Daniel, not Ghostbusters. So they call on Daniel, and he comes to the banquet hall, and Daniel reads the message, and he can't translate, and he interprets it. And here's what the message says in verse 25. This is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. Now, nobody understood that phrase because it's really just simply Aramaic. It's very rare to have an Aramaic phrase in the entire Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. Everything else in the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, which, by the way, was the language that Jesus spoke. He spoke Aramaic. He not only reads it, he translates it, and then Daniel interprets it. He says, okay, king, mene means numbered. It means your days are numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign, and they're going to end. Your time is up. Your number has been pulled. Tekel means weighed. Weighed in the balance like a scale. You've been weighed on the scales of God and you haven't measured up. Then he says parson means divided. And he says your kingdom is going to be divided tonight between the Medes and the Persians and you're going to die. And the word parson to a Chaldean mind is like a play on words. Parson and Persian, they're real similar. And this is not exactly good news. You're about to lose your kingdom and you're going to die tonight. But Daniel... Because he always does the right thing, he gets promoted. Verse 29 and 31, then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was put around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylons, was slain. 
and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Archaeology tells us how they actually invaded. It's pretty neat. They didn't try to tear the walls down. They couldn't. What they did do was they, the Euphrates River ran through the city under the walls. They actually diverted the river, and the water went down low enough that they could crawl under the wall, and they came in. It's a historical fact. The Medes and the Persians then took over from Belshazzar that night, and he only was in the king for two years. Now, what I want to focus on is why they called Daniel for the crisis when they didn't know what to do. They didn't know where to turn. There are a lot of crises in the world, and I, we need people like Daniel. We need women and men who can say, this is what this means, and this is going to be hard, and these are some tough words, and we need to do this. Said Daniel developed a reputation for being the go-to guy because he was the wisest man in the empire. In fact, let me go back and show you what the queen and the king said about this guy, Daniel 5, verse 10 to 12. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and the nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, or ancestor, or predecessor, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. Two things here. First off, would probably be in much better shape if the queen ruled instead of the putz Belshazzar. She's not even part of the party. She hears the voices and then comes into the hall. So she is not invited. All his wives and his concubines. So this guy has a huge harem, but the queen isn't there. That is fascinating that she was not there at this huge banquet. She's probably freaking out because of the people are, you know, about to siege the city. You know, something to think about. She was sober. She was regal. She may have been scared, but this was no time for a party. It's all speculation. All we know is that she wasn't there. I'm, I'm guessing that's the case. But one thing for sure is she is the only one with a plan. She is the only one with wisdom. She is the only one who recommends a solution that works. Second is Daniel has an incredible reputation. Think about it. Notice those three things. He says you're, you've got God's spirit in you. You're brilliant in your knowledge and you're extraordinary in your wisdom. That's pretty cool. I like people to say that about me. I'm sure you would as well. And God used Daniel because he was wise. But here's the thing about wisdom. Wisdom is a choice. You can choose to become wise through learning and through study and through dedication and prayer. And the Bible's got a lot to say about wisdom and learning. Proverbs 4.13 says, hold on to instruction and do not let it go. Guard it well for it is your life. So you can choose to learn from those who came before you or you can do your own thing. Wisdom is a choice. Let's look at what God says are the five ways to become wise in life. There's benefits to love. There's benefits to wisdom. And when you do things that God says to you to do, you're just going to become a wiser person. And maybe you won't fail the test like Belshazzar of listening to those who come before you. So the first thing you got to do to become wise is, number one, make a commitment to never stop learning. It all starts with a choice. Nobody can decide for you. you got to make this choice yourself. You have to realize how important learning is the rest of your life. 
Proverbs 23, 12 says, apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. I've actually heard people say, I'm glad I'm done with school. Now I can start my career and I never have to study again. I want to say, you know what? You're never done learning. Go on. You need to get your master's, maybe even a PhD to keep learning in your field. Tell that to God. You're done learning and he'll laugh at you. The rest of your life is really you need to be in education mode. There are a lot of things that God wants to teach you that you haven't learned yet. Learning is not a stage of life. Learning is your life. Think about it. Every day, God wants to teach you something new. You know, my car has uh, had a lot of problems. And I'm worried that it's going to last. And so I've been looking up, like, buying a car, whether it's a used car. And right now, buying a used car is really hard because of COVID and supplies, issues, and all kinds of stuff. It is really hard. And the price of used cars has gone way up. So if you're selling a used car, great. If you're trying to buy one, bad. <laughs> so it's 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 hard. And so my car is 15 years old, and I'm trying to see how long it'll last. And I'm looking up stuff on the internet. I'm learning about cars and, and like the price of new cars and versus old cars and all kinds of stuff. And I'm learning a lot just because I'm trying to figure out what to do. And I've come up with the conclusion I'm going to try to hold on to this car as long as I can possibly do it. Another thing I'm trying to learn right now is how to eat low sodium. Do you know how hard that is without eating a lot of calories? I'm trying to eat... Obviously, trying to lose weight, but I'm really trying to eat low sodium because I have high blood pressure and I'm trying to lower it. You do that by eating low sodium. You know, so my doctor told me a thousand milligrams a day, which is, if you look at it, it is hard. Now, the recommended daily amount is even hard at 2,000 milligrams a day. But man, unless you eat nothing but vegetables, which I hate vegetables, it is hard. So I'm out. On Wednesday night, trying to find somewhere to eat because I'm taking my middle daughter to cheer practice and I'm there from 6 to 9. So I leave the house at 5.30. I'm at 6.15 and I'm driving out. And my plan was I tried to do it and I thought of places I could go. And I went to Pat's Pizzeria the week before and I got a Caesar salad. And it had low calories. Which, But then I looked at the sodium and I was like, whoa, it had like 2,200 milligrams of sodium. And I was like, that's way too hot. So then I was going to go to Wendy's to get a grilled chicken sandwich and a potato. I was like, man, that's high. Slice of pizza, forget about it. Don't even go there. Oh, so then I was like, maybe I'll just get a meatball sandwich. There can't be that much sodium in a meatball hoagie, right? I looked it up, 6,850 milligrams. And I was like, holy smokes, that's enough for my whole week just in a meatball hoagie. And you know what? I could eat two of them. And in fact, in the past, I have just for one meal. It's like 13,000 milligrams of sodium. No wonder I have high blood pressure. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get a Caesar salad from Wawa. So I go in. I look it up online. Like I'm I'm in the parking lot and I'm typing my this podcast out right as I'm as I'm preparing this. I'm writing it out and I'm, I got my laptop, you know, and it's hooked up to the steering wheel. And I just hope I don't press the keys too hard and, and push it so that the horn doesn't go off. So I'm typing it. So, I, so I'm looking up on the internet. I look up uh, Wawa and I find Wawa Nutrition. 
I look up their Caesar salads. I was like, I can do Caesar salad. It's not too bad. And then I saw 1,580 milligrams of sodium. And that was with light dressing. I was like, oh my gosh, 1,580 for a Caesar salad? I then Googled, how do you eat a low sodium diet when you're out? And they're like, well, just ask the restaurants. They put less salt into the food they give you. Like, really? My conclusion is this. If, unless you're a rabbit and don't put any dressing on anything, it is impossible to eat out with low sodium. It's just impossible. And I'm learning this and I'm like, man, so I'm like, I'm not, I'm just not going to eat dinner and I'm just going to deal and I'm going shopping at Walmart when I'm done. So I'll just eat a couple fruits and I'll be good to go. Like five oranges. That's, that was what I was thinking about doing or some blueberries so I get to Walmart, and the first thing I do when you walk into Walmart, I'm in Oxford Walmart, and the very first thing I see is all these fruits. So I'm putting all this stuff in my car, and there I see prepared salads, and I'm like, and they look so good, and you know you must be hungry to see a prepared salad at Walmart looking good. So I go over there, and I read the label, and on the back, and it says 480 milligrams of sodium for my Caesar salad. I was like, yes! I was like, under 500, I can deal with this. I mean, yeah, it's... 500, but for 480, I can deal with this. I'm going to eat dinner. I'm loving it. I put it in my cart. I'm I'm a happy guy. I'm walking through the store. I'm buying stuff and getting my yogurt and and uh, all the stuff for the kids. And so I pack all my stuff. I, you know, I check out. I get in the car, and I look at the salad. It's in the front seat. All the groceries are in the back. And I'm like, I'll just eat this back at the chair place. And then I was like, I don't have a fork. They didn't have forks there. Why not have a fork? So I was like, oh, I was like, oh, Wawa. I can just go into Wawa and snag a fork. Yeah, I'm going to steal a fork from Wawa. So I drive over to Wawa, which is only, you know, less than a mile from the cheerleader place. And I go in and right about to get a fork. And I was like, something's wrong. So I went back to the car and I looked at the label again. I was like, this seems so odd that this has, you know, a thousand less milligrams of sodium than the Caesar salad at Wawa. What's going on here? I look at the back and I read it and I saw the calorie count. It said only 170 calories. And I was like, how is that possible? And then I saw little letters I didn't see before. Serving size, three quarters of a cup. Servings per container, 3.5. I did the math in my head, 480 times 3.5. Holy smokes. I can't eat it. I was like, ah. Oh. And I was so mad at myself for not understanding such a simple thing of that as, you know, serving size. You know what? So Caesar salads from Wawa and Walmart, they matched. Every day you got to learn. I thought I, I thought I was careful. I wasn't. There's always something new to learn every day. Let me tell you, here's something I learned. You cannot eat low sodium and go out to eat, period, unless you just want fruits or vegetables. That's it. Even grilled chicken because they cook it with a lot of salt. Anyway, that was a major tangent there. <laughs> what new skill are you working on that you didn't have last year? Are you going to be different? Are you going to be better? Are you trying to be stronger? Are you trying to know more? Are you going to be wiser? You make the commitment because every day is a learning day because you've never finished with your education. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 10 says, if an ax is dull and the edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed, 
but skill will bring success. I mean, that's common sense, right? You ever chop wood with an ax that's not sharp, it's dull, it's like, that's it's just too hard. It's going to take a lot more energy. And right now, when you are listening to this podcast, you're actually sharpening your ax. You're spiritually sharpening your ax to be more effective in the world. And when you take a seminar, when you read a book, when you go to church, you're sharpening your ax. And the Bible says that that skill will bring success. Notice it didn't say desire. It didn't say prayer. It says skill will bring success. So you can pray all you want and have all the desire you want and write down all your dreams all you want. But if you don't have the skill, you're not going to be as successful as you could be. Learning is important. I mean, look at Jesus. He starts off teaching as a child in the temple. Then as he recruits disciples, he teaches them even as he's attacked at the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's going to the cross. And Peter attacks one of the assailants. Jesus stops him, waits a minute. Let me teach you something as I'm going away. He teaches Peter about who he is. I don't, I'm not here for violence. Come on now, you know me. I'm here to save you. You don't know what you're doing. You're missing my whole point. I need to go with them. I need to do this. And even as he's dying on the cross, he gives words of wisdom to the thief next to him. And maybe to the people underneath him who hear, who are watching him, who are making fun of him, he tells the guy, hey, I got you back, man. You'll be with me today in paradise. He, he's teaching him. And then when he rises from the dead, after dying for our sins on the cross, he teaches for 40 days because they need to know. They need it more than anything else. Belshazzar stopped learning. He just partied. He just sat on the accomplishments of his predecessors, and it didn't last long before it was gone. Daniel became who he was because he never stopped learning. So I ask again, what new skill are you working on right now that you didn't have last year? And if you're not, why aren't you? Are you going to be any different? You know, we have a couple months before the end of the year. What can you learn by the end of the year? What can you develop? I know for me, it's 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 trying to live healthy so that I last. I'm, I'm trying to work out. I'm trying to, you know, and I've always done that my whole life. But now I'm, I've added on to that, like trying to eat with uh, my uh, even more healthy with uh, with a low sodium diet, which is super, super hard. And every day I'm reading stuff and I'm looking up stuff and I'm listening to hints and I'm looking at things and I'm learning how to be healthy so that I can live longer so that I can be here with my kids. So I don't die of a heart attack. What new skill? What are you learning to be better, to be stronger? Are you going to know more? Are you going to be wiser? You got to make the commitment because in God's eyes, we never stop learning. We never stop growing as we're growing close, you know, all of life, one like we come to know Jesus. That's like the entry point of everything. Like Daniel is like living his life, and these people come in, and he's like, "Man, you guys, you you've been measured. You you've messed up." And they don't ask him what to do. I don't know if the queen did. I don't know what happened to the queen. I wonder what she did throughout this whole thing. I wonder if she says, "What can we do?" And he might have told her, "Well, there's nothing you can do but pray." Because these guys are coming and there's nothing you can do because the king didn't listen. Only the king can change the fate. And he didn't. He didn't do anything. He didn't even yell at him or get mad at him. He just did it. You know, every day we make the choice to learn and to grow. Are we learning 
anything in life? Are we growing closer to God? Are we getting to know him more? Are we getting to know the love, how much love that God has for each of us? And if you're not, why not? Make the commitment because you're never finished with your education. Because you can never pass the test of learning from those who go before you if you stop learning. So in order to be wise, that's the number one thing we got to do is never stop learning. So I challenge you this week, find something. Say, you know what? I'm going to learn about this. I'm going to become closer to God with this. I'm going to learn about whatever it is and go for it. And next week, we will continue on this series. God bless.